Just a quick comment on your gospel reading before we get into the message for today. If you look at the end of the reading on page 10, it's rather curious. Usually when Jesus heals someone or casts out a demon, he um, encourages them to silence, even commands them to tell no one what he's done. And we've talked about that before, you know. He, he doesn't want to be known primarily as a miracle worker. He wants to be known as the crucified and risen Savior. That's who he is. But here in the text, he does something very different. This man wants to follow him. He wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, no, go home and tell everyone what God has done for you. And, and so the man goes, and he tells everyone what Jesus has done for him. And, and the refusal to allow him to follow, it raises a question, why? And I think, just my guess, just a guess, my guess is the Gerasenes, they want Jesus out of their lives. They don't want him around. He's too powerful. They fear his power. But Jesus does not leave them without a witness. He says to the man, no, you stay here. You testify to what I have done. I think it's just grace on the part of Jesus that he gives the man that command, that privilege of telling others about him. There is a witness to Jesus there in uh, Gerasa, even though the people don't want Jesus around. We bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, bless your word to our hearts this day through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So I want to open with a quote, and it goes like this. I am not unreliable. My illness is. Sometimes I have to cancel plans. It's not because I didn't want to come. Believe me, I feel guilty, like I let you down. It can get depressing. Sometimes I'm afraid to even make plans because I don't know if I'll have a flare-up that day. On some days, I'm physically unable to sit up or even have a conversation and have no choice. I have to cancel, and I hope you understand. Another quote. I am not my diagnosis. I'm just like everyone else, just a few extra struggles. That doesn't make me weak. It makes me a fighter. Despite what I have to deal with, I am still here. I am not my diagnosis. I am me. And finally, this quote. I have schizophrenia. I am not schizophrenia. I am not my mental illness. My illness is a part of me. And I share these quotes because of our gospel lesson for today. If you open a Bible and you turn to this reading from Luke's gospel, you'll find subheadings in, in every different translation, and the subheadings always vary. 
But here's the subheading from the Revised Standard Version of our Gospel lesson for today. Jesus heals the Gerasene demoniac. The New English translation has this heading, healing of a demoniac. The New American Standard Bible has this heading, the demoniac cured. All of those subheadings emphasize the man's disability, not his humanity. They stress his illness, not his person. Roman numeral one in your sermon outline. Concerning the man in our gospel reading, is he man or is he beast? Letter B, he lived like an animal. Verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. So he's naked. He's unclothed, like an animal. And then we read, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. So he lived outdoors, like an animal, away from human society. And letter C, he was treated like an animal. We read in verse 29, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. So point number one, he was chained like an animal. And then we read, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So he's driven, much like one would drive animals. The demons drove him into the desert. But Roman numeral two, Jesus recognizes something about the man that's easy to miss, that he's made in God's image, and he actually becomes Christ's disciple. I mean, the man that you would least expect to be the disciple of Jesus turns out to be. In letter A, Jesus speaks to him, that's in verse 30, Jesus addresses the man. Jesus asks him, what is your name? And he's, he's addressing the man there. Now there's at least three characters in this drama. There's the man, there's Jesus, and there's the demon. And Jesus does not identify with the demon. He identifies with the man. His sympathies lie with the man. Why? Well, for one thing, the man is made in God's image. He's fully human, just like Jesus. He's made in God's image, just like Jesus. Demons are not made in God's image. Angels are not made in God's image. We read in the scriptures, Jesus was made like us in every way, yet without sin. Jesus naturally identifies with the man. 
And even though the demon controls the man, Jesus speaks to the man personally, one human being to another. He speaks to the man the same way you and I would speak to anyone else. Now, it's the demon who answers, but it's the man who's being addressed. Jesus recognizes the man's humanity. To Jesus, this man is not a demoniac. He's a fellow human being who is sorely oppressed. Jesus affirms the man and he casts out the demons and restores the man. Letter B. The man exhibits the posture of a disciple. Verse 35. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now to sit at the feet of someone is the posture of a student. Rabbinical students would sit at the feet of their teacher. In Acts 22, Paul describes himself in his earlier life as a student who sat at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel. In the home of Mary and Martha, Luke chapter 10, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus with, uh, with the other disciples. So the man is sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed in his right mind, and the people were afraid. The people from that region go out to see what had happened. And what do they see? They see the person they would least expect to be anyone's student as a student, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. You would think that would prompt faith in Jesus, but it doesn't, not in them. Rather, they display fear of Jesus. Now, maybe they think Jesus is bad for business. All of those hogs are dead. In one of the parallel passages in the Gospels, uh, there was like 2,000 hogs. They're dead. Jesus is bad for business. Maybe that's why they fear him. We're not told why, but they fear him. Are they fearful? Because at least when the man was demon-possessed, they knew what to expect from him. But now someone more powerful than the demon is on the scene, and we don't know what to expect from him. What is he going to ask of us? Maybe these people had grown accustomed to the demonic influence in their midst. Maybe they learned to live with it. Maybe they made their peace with evil. Maybe. Do we do the same today? Have we become comfortable with the evil in our culture? Abortion, gay marriage, so-called, drag queen story hour in public libraries. Scripture's clear about these things. They are an abomination before God. And yet, people today politely applaud. Do you join the applause? Do you seek the approval of men or of God? Are you catechized more by the culture or by the Christ? 
Are you sitting at the feet of the sexual revolutionaries in our culture and learning from them? Or are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? The Gerasenes do not exhibit faith in Jesus. They exhibit fear. They ask him to depart. They view Jesus as a threat. As our culture increasingly views Jesus as a threat. Even Christ's disciples can become guilty of this. Even we can view Jesus as a threat. In the verses right before our gospel lesson for this morning, Jesus is in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee, going to the region of the Gerasenes, and on the way they encounter a storm. And it's a violent storm, and water is washing into the boat. Jesus is asleep, of course, on a cushion, and the disciples are afraid for their lives. They're afraid of the storm. And they kind of rebuke Jesus. Lord, don't you care? We're perishing. Jesus awakens. He stills the storm with a word. And then the disciples are afraid once again. Not of the storm, but of Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Where's your faith? They were afraid and they marveled, saying, Who then is this who commands the wind and the waves, and they obey him? You see, just as the Gerasenes feared Jesus because he was more powerful than the demons, so the disciples feared Jesus when they knew he was more powerful than the storm. Unbelief, Unbelief always sees God's power not as deliverance, but as threat. Roman numeral three. Letter A. Unbelief sees Christ's power as threatening. Unbelief sees Jesus only as a judge, not as the Savior that he is, the Savior from sin. On the other hand, letter B, faith sees Christ's power as mercy, as deliverance from evil. This man was delivered from a legion of demons, but the Gerasenes were blind to that because they chose to see Jesus as some sort of threat to themselves. That's what unbelief does. Unbelief sees the power of God as a threat to its own existence. For example... The church is not against gay people. The church affirms the humanity and the value of all people. Therefore, when the church speaks of marriage as the lifelong union of one man and one woman, as Jesus does in Matthew 19, we're not hating those who disagree. We're simply putting the needs of children, those most vulnerable, above the desires of adults. To say that every child needs his mother and his father is not to speak hatefully toward anyone, 
It is to speak mercifully on behalf of the child. Faith believes that. Unbelief does not. We speak the life-giving word of Christ to a world that is dying apart from Christ. Unbelief may hear that forgiving word as a threat. Faith hears that same word as mercy, as grace, as forgiveness, as peace. The most amazing thing in our gospel reading for this morning is not the exorcism. The most amazing thing to me is that Jesus saw the man not as a demoniac. Jesus saw the man not as an illness or a set of symptoms. Jesus saw a fellow human being made in God's image with whom he could identify. My friends, that same Christ identifies with you. This is what prompted St. Paul to write in Romans 7, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, this is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. If I do what I do not want, it's no longer I doing it, but sin that dwells within me. In other words, sin may live in me. It lives in all of us, regardless of who we are. But it does not define me. It does not define you. My sin is not who I am, and the same is true for you. If illness is the sin that afflicts everyone, you are not your illness. Letter C, you are not your sin. You're not your sin. You are the righteousness of God, no matter who you are. St. Paul wrote, by faith we have been justified before God, declared right. And St. Paul then restated the same thing in these words, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. He didn't just die for sin. He became your sin and mine, no matter who you are, in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is who you are, the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God by the power of his word. You're not your illness. You're not your sin. You are God's righteousness by the power of his own word. And you perceive that word, God willing, not as threat, but you perceive it as the mercy that it truly is. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.